listening to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a Godzilla podcast for hardcore and casual fans alike, and everyone else in between. for tuning in to another episode of the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. My name, as always, is David. And joining me, as always, is the sublime Chris Hormskirch. How are you doing, Chris? Well, now that we've changed this to a Godzilla ASMR podcast, I am doing very well. (laughs) And I think that our (laughs) listeners are about to be in for a treat as well. Yeah, we upgraded our microphones to the ones that have like the dual ear things. Like that's yeah. Actually that's that's a rabbit hole we don't want to go down. Um your microphone sounds a lot better tonight, Chris. What did you do to improve that? Well, I went to Best Buy, despite all of my misgivings, all of my feelings against Best Buy, which I usually call an Amazon showroom. And I bought a cord that I suspect actually works, unlike the one that I had been using. There we go. So now you'll get my voice in whatever the vocal version of high definition is. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so weird going from our last podcast where this is how it sounded for the most part, right? And then when we started this again, everything just sounded so rough on your end. I'm just like, huh. I, I just, I don't know. I was like, I kind of remembered it wrong. You just assumed that was the case. So it's kind of nice that we can get back to uh, sounding a little bit more professional. And now, you know, we'll get sponsored by NPR and uh, Mountain Dew Game Fuel and all that. So I'm pretty excited. I think there's uh, big things for us on the horizon. I know. It's kind of crazy once we get to our commercial break halfway through the episode when we have to beg and plead for the archaeology review to give us their spot back just to be followed up by mountain dew which i think is just going to be three long explosions in a row which they call an ad (laughs) and then npr where we just kind of whisper for the next 30 seconds i don't know yeah pretty much i'm really excited for a lot of changes coming to this episode me too (laughs) um before we dive into the movie though uh, i just wanted to bring attention to a few things um we did get our first review on Apple Podcasts, so Zimzilla99, that was awesome of you uh, to do that, uh, so really appreciate that. Um, so if, if you guys do enjoy the podcast, uh, please, if you wouldn't mind doing that, it, it, you believe it or not, you know, it may not seem like a big deal, um, but those do help uh, people feel confident enough to invest their time into a new podcast. Especially since that wasn't a dinky review either. That was actually like no, not at all. pretty substantive. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, that was actually uh, pretty for our first review. That was awesome for sure. But um, I wanted to also bring attention to the fact that, uh, you know, we do have some awesome intro and outro music. So this is in the description on all of our episodes and all that, but I wanted to bring attention. So, uh, uh, Evie, sorry, Evan Handyside, um, according to Google, 
uh, is self-employed guitar teacher in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with 25 years experience. Um, performed throughout the Northeast as a bass player for the Pittsburgh-based alt-rock band New Invisible Joy. Um, band has released four albums on their indie label Goldwish Records. But uh, Evan is a awesome guy to follow on Instagram, subscribe to YouTube, all that. But I found him a year or so ago because he does some classical renditions of a few Godzilla songs. So when it was time for us to find music for the podcast again, you know how we had that classical version of uh, Across the Stars for our last, last podcast, um, which is still probably like my favorite piece of Star Wars music ever. So I was like, why don't we do that again? And when I hit Evan up, he was just like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like he was all on board for allowing us to uh, do that. It was um, so the songs uh, from Shin Godzilla, which we'll see here in a couple of years. <laughs> right we still have to go through torso godzilla and leg godzilla and then we can get to shin godzilla yeah but femur godzilla oof that's a good one yeah, that's the hardest one to break i hear yeah but then uh owen he owen goes by uh house goji on instagram he did the uh very ambient sounding version of one of his songs i can't even remember what it's i think the monster zero march um, but he did that. He was more than uh, happy to let us use that. So all of their links and all that are in the description for the podcast. You can always go to Kaiju Apostle, thekaijuapostle.com and click on an individual episode if you can't find it easily enough. But just please make sure you uh, support them as well. Um, they're allowing us to use that music uh, free of charge. Um, we've made sure to credit them and obviously the original artists. But we just we wanted to do something that we could showcase someone else's work instead of just some generic um, royalty free music that we could do. So I wanted to make sure to give them a shout out. So jumping right in, we are discussing Mothra released in 1961 and one of my personal favorite movies in this entire scope of what we're doing. So before we really get into all the the nitty gritty and all that, um, just so you're aware, Chris, and people who are listening, you probably know already. So, uh, of course, director is Ashiro Honda. Um, past few films, apart from Godzilla Raids Again, he's had his hands in. Um, I would wager before we get into it, this is uh, probably a much more favorable experience for you than Varan. Um, I would say most people would agree. Um, Cast-wise, we do have uh, Frankie Sakai. He plays Sinchiro um, Zen, as we'll refer to him. So Sinchiro Fukuda. And then we have uh, Hiroshi Koizumi, who plays Dr. Uh, Shinichi Chujo. Um, he is someone that you will see quite often down the road. And then we have uh, Kyoko Kagawa. She plays uh, Michi Hanamura. And then we have, uh, oh man, like it's hard for me to say this, but probably my favorite character, uh, uh, Jerry Ito plays Clark Nelson. Um, but those are our four major characters. And then, uh, so, you know, Shira Honda's director again. Um, but the music is a little different this time around. Instead of Akira Ifakube, we get a Yuji Koseki. Um, apparently, uh, so the the shobijin in this film the the tiny beauties um 
I don't know if you knew this, Chris. So they're actually a, they were a popular uh, musician group at that time called the Peanuts. And Ifakube was a little concerned about writing music for him, so he didn't feel confident in scoring this film. So that's why we have a different composer this time. But this film actually, um, the the r- there was an original story that was commissioned for this film. So we had a couple writers. They all came together. They wrote a story called The Glowing Fairies and Mothra, which was then serialized in a magazine in six, 1961. And then that's where we get um, this movie. It's it a little bit different than normal. Um, so we had that original original story but then of course we get uh excuse me we get shinichi uh sekizawa who also did the the screenplay for varan and like we talked about last time he really starts changing the tone of these films Mm -hmm. so just kind of a little bit of context and all of that so you kind of know who's who but uh yeah what what were your initial thoughts like going into it even before watching the film because Obviously, you kept making all the the moth memes, so obviously you had some point of reference for this. Yes. This time, I was aware that the monster was a large moth, and I had assumed, based on the past films, that we were going to be watching another, well, this is just a giant version of a monster from real life. You know how they're normally two feet? What if they were 200? (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, okay, so Mothra stands to reason, probably loves lamp. And we all know from late 2018, there was a grand one and a half weeks when Moth memes are all their age. And then they flew in the sun and I've not seen one since. But because I still make Harambee jokes on purpose, unironically, I will have to make a few Moth memes, hopefully. That, that'll that be allowed. Thank you. I think Harambi would really appreciate that, too. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, you had a little bit of context going into it, because I think it's, you hear the word Mothra, the name Mothra, you're like, okay, it's a yeah. moth, right? So, but yeah, going into the film, I guess, after watching Varan last week, what were some of your thoughts going into this? Like, were you excited? I mean... This is kind of how I want to start going about this, too, is kind of hearing your initial thoughts. And obviously, we'll get into the movie, um, but just kind of hearing where you're at before starting it. I think between the past couple, like the last two being not really Godzilla, but just kind of generic mm-hmm. monsters, more or less. Like, I w- this could have gone either way, because Varan felt like a like a ripoff version of Godzilla, like the dollar store version that you buy in the DVD section. <laughs> Which I guess I can't say that because there's Ultraman DVDs at Dollar Tree now. So they've, they're they getting some yeah. good stuff. But I was kind of like thinking, okay, this could either be like a ripoff of Godzilla or it could be doing its own thing. I genuinely don't know yet. And thankfully mm-hmm. it did its own thing and had its own, some, some of its own pretty good points. And yeah. I think when I started to see that there were going to be more villagers, I was like, oh, no, because that I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later. But that was one thing that I've been a little more nervous about as time has gone on in terms of how they've treated the natives. And Mm -hmm. so 
I don't know. This one, I was a little more... I, I know everyone likes it, and I really paint with a broad brush when I say that, but there was just kind of maybe coming from Varane, I was a little more nervous than I should have been. But in the end, I, I really actually enjoyed this one a lot more. And well, I'd hope well, so. yeah, I guess what I was about <laughs> to say is, well, compared to Varane, I would probably enjoy getting hit by a bus, too. But oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole villager aspect, it's it's tough, right? Because, you know, my wife and I were actually just having a conversation about this, of like stereotypes and car sales. You don't want to perpetuate those stereotypes. But unfortunately, there are some truth to these things right so how do you how do you acknowledge that truth without perpetuating a harmful stereotype and i think that's the difficulty of dealing with islanders and villagers in any film at all right because on the one hand yes there are aboriginal communities in the world but how do you portray them in a way that's not just savage and so Mm. otherly right because you know for a fact in all these situations, they're thinking the same thing. Like, who are these barbarians showing up? Not that they have mm-hmm. that word, but there's always the fear of the other is always a very real and present temptation. But I do feel like, at least with this film, there's a lot more humanity than maybe where we were with like uh, the last one, only because, first of all, we didn't get a chance to really know the villagers right. in Varan, right? But we also have the 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 Shobijin standing in as a as a medium to speak for their behalf, right? Right. Um, but of course, the tribal all that stuff is just kind of it's hard to really put a finger on. Like I don't know. For me, anytime they do the the rituals and stuff, I'm like, I know there are rituals like this, but I'm like, is this mm-hmm. problematic? I don't. I don't really know how to feel about this. I'm like, do people really wear bikinis like this? And I'm like, <laughs> uh... Well, and that's, that's part of where the difficulty comes in. And of course, speaking as a straight white man, straight white, straight white cis man, I am not an <laughs> expert on this subject at all. Yeah. But there's one thing to say about writing an experience that's not yours, that's a real experience. Mm-hmm. So like, had they chose like, pacific islanders or hawaiians from a certain year but weren't pacific islanders or weren't hawaiian that would definitely be problematic but there's almost something like there's a different degree of difficulty when they're uh made up villagers yeah because then they become a pastiche of stereotypes rather than being based out of a certain culture mm-hmm. so there's no like there's no representative for fake cultures to step in and say this is problematic So you do get a little more free reign to indulge yourself in some of your worst instincts, really. Yeah. But I will say, if if I remember reading it right, when I was going through David Collatt's book on this film, well, you know, his book about all the films, reading the chapter on this, um, Sekizawa actually was in the military as well and did spend time in the South Pacific. So apparently that's why he keeps coming back to this, as we'll see in other films. So I don't know if that's a good or bad necessarily, but it is a real thing. Sure. That, like he has some point of reference, but so yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those things where I'm like, 
I don't really, I can't put my finger on it. The older I've gotten, I'm just like, it's not the worst thing I've seen. And it's not the crux of the film. But then I'm just still like, I don't want to watch this and like perpetuate that this is okay to my son either that mm-hmm. you can just like simplify people down to, I, I don't know. It's, it, that's what kind of sucks about these villagers apart from obviously the show is like, they don't have a voice, right? Right. That it's they the 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 fairies, as I Jasper calls them. You know that's their voice in this film. Later on, that changes. So, but just in this one, I feel like it's kind of growing pains. Um, yeah. So okay, so the the film itself, though, um, you know, setting the context, like right off the bat, you know, whereas Varan was just this generic monster on a loose film. You know, we're we're in a world that's been affected by radiation, but it's normalized now, right? Like it's something that people are just readily okay with. Not okay with, but like that's just it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we're gonna be caught between a typhoon and radiation. They're saying it as if it's like commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um so that right there I think sets the tone a lot different than Varan did, where, you know, you would never know it's a post World War II film. And they made right. it that way. I get that. You can't really judge a film for what it's not intending to do. So, um, yeah, I this film, it's so different compared to Vran because right off the bat, we get Zen, right? Like, he is a wonderful comedic actor. Like, that's what I love about this film so much is, like, it... it I know it seems silly, but, like, there is a heart to the comedy, right? It's the reason why I like John Mulaney, which there's mm-hmm. a John Mulaney reference I'll have later in this episode. But like, it's not just Dane Cook comedy, right? Or yeah. uh, Daniel Tosh comedy. Like, there's there's heart and soul behind the way he brings that character to life. Like, he absolutely steals the whole show. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie. I mean, Mothra is the star, but I want more Zen. Like, he is the reason why I love this film so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I. There's definitely something where the, I don't know, the the actors have been given a little more room to have fun. I mm-hmm. feel like, and we pointed out last, I think it was in the last one, where there was a little humor, but mm-hmm. it kind of sat a little funny. This time, it just the movie definitely needs that. The, this movie definitely needs the comedic relief. Yeah. But it's not Jar Jar stepping in poop. It's not someone getting smacked over the head with a chair or a piano. Like or general hugs. Right. This is like <laughs> this is something where we've actually gotten I, I we're stressed. We need a little of that relief. Especially mm-hmm. because we're starting like for me, who's watching all of these movies now for the first time, right? I'm like starting to get into this world where I'm like Okay, so how many movies am I going to watch where there's another new monster? It's yeah. kind of getting stressful. A lot. What? <laughs> a lot. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So there's kind of this like weird like feeling that I'm getting watching these movies where I'm like, oh, another freaking monster. Another monster. Like, you know, Godzilla shows on like a, the first one shows on a kind of a national level what the cost of war is. But now mm-hmm. we're seeing like, oh, the cost of war is humongous. It's not just one oh, monster. Yeah. It's not just one nation. It's like all of these ancient beasts are waking back up. 
And it's not just like once in 1946, one monster woke mm-hmm. up. Like this is going to, we're going to be dealing with this for decades. So yeah. with all that meta picture, it's nice to have someone having a little fun in the movie. <laughs> but so it's interesting you bring that up because with Rodan and I'd mentioned this in the Rodan episode, but with Rodan and Mothra, neither of these monsters have, there's no explicit mention that they are the way they are because of radiation. Right. Yeah, sure. So the only reason people even know about Mothra is because they had the R- Rolisican, um, yeah, Rolisican uh, government bombed Infant Island. They didn't realize people actually lived there. So when these people got stranded there and were rescued by the natives, right, they were given the red juice and they were uh, they were cured mm-hmm. or at least, you know, not hurt more. Um, they're like, oh, well, there actually are people here. So they go and they discover it. Right. If they wouldn't have taken the Shobijin, like never would have known about Mothra at all. But that's the thing, like where they're stepping onto a, a world that had existed for however long before nuclear weapons were ever a thing. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm like, is Mothra even a monster? Right. In the way that we've been viewing monsters where it's not something necessarily we've created. Now we've unleashed it. So it makes me wonder like what role it, you know, Mothra really plays in the world. You know, Godzilla is a fruit of our, our hubris, right? Mm-hmm. Of our selfishness, our greed. Mothra just is. And that's when I wrote that article on Theodicy. Like, there's just sometimes evil just exists. And it's nothing that we've ever done, but it's there. So now we have to decide what to do about it. Not that Mothra is evil, yeah, but just that realization that there are monsters in the world. And they're, they're present. So instead of spending time of you know, trying to theorize why they exist, really the proper response is, what are we going to do about it? Well, and that's the thing. I'm glad you pointed out that Mothra isn't really the villain in this one because not only is she portrayed, like she's portrayed as their deity, which makes sense because Mm -hmm. even in 2020, right next year, if a giant 300 foot monster showed up, in the middle of Kansas city or in the middle of Chicago, I'm sure a lot of people are going to find themselves a new God, right? Yeah. Even in 2020, when we're so rationalistic, post enlightenment, postmodern, like we're going to become, if we're not already, we're going to find a new religion. So, yeah. But, but I mean, we've got the church of MAGA, right? I mean, not to get yeah. pol- super well, political yeah. in this podcast, but like, you know, I, I have family members that before Trump was elected, they're like, I will never vote for this guy. And then weeks later, they're bowing at his altar pretty much. Oh, and yeah. now, like, you, you question anything he does. So, but I mean, you, it's a cult of personality. But just the point is, like, yeah, people will latch on to anything to worship. So you're right. If a huge monster appeared, you better believe there would be people who would start worshiping it in the same way that, like, any major film where something like this happens, there's always um, contemporary films. If there's a giant monster, there's always people with signs like don't kill the monster. Like, and they'll have signs like, you know, trying to talk about like starting a church around it. Like it's a very real temptation. Mm -hmm. Well, but you say you don't want to become political on the podcast, but Mothra is a fairly political film. There feels like a lot of talk about 
capitalism and exploitation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I really don't want to get into contemporary politics. Yeah, you just don't want to talk Um, about Trump. No. Oh, boy. That's that's a whole can of worms right there. A whole can of Mothra larva right there that I've regretted already (laughs) opening up, and I don't have any alcohol here. So, water it is. Well, and I, you know, it's just, we go back to thinking like Mothra is their deity. She's not Mm -hmm. portrayed as a vengeful god. So we've talked, we talked in the last episode that when they pissed, um, when they pissed Varan off, he came in and just wrecked the village. He ate everyone. And still the Mm -hmm. priest was like, forgive him. But yeah, that wasn't really based on something that Varan was owed or deserved like mm-hmm. Varane wasn't like just having a bad day they were always afraid of him they were always scared but in this one like toward the end right they trust the mother is gonna work in their favor benevol- benevolently yeah and so we're seeing a shift in there's there's two shifts right there's the first one in how do the how are the monsters portrayed is there the possibility that they could be the hero? And then they're portrayed differently as in, can human beings relate to them on a positive way? Is there like a mutual benefit that there can come out of a relationship with the kaiju? And this film mm-hmm. seems to say, no, they can be good. Just as like dogs today can be good. So can kaiju just cause they're big. Doesn't make them automatically evil. And then we can say, and there's benefits to getting to know them, which puts it yeah. in a cool meta conversation with the first Godzilla movie when they're like, well, don't just kill him because he's big. And now Mothra is like, yeah, see, it's not worth just killing them right away. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with Gojira, Dr. Yamani um, and Henry. I know as soon as I said that, you're going to know why I purposely said that. Um, he was like, hey, like, there's a benefit here right? Like we could be studying how to be cured of radiation. And that was actually something that, you know, David Collat brings up in his book where it's like with, um, and I, for, for the record, I like that we don't have to go through the movie chronologically. We can bounce back and forth. Um, David Collat brings up the fact that like, you know, uh, Nelson focuses so much on the commercialization of the Shobijin, right? Mm-hmm. But like he misses the biggest source of revenue he could have is the fact that there is red juice here to help keep people and cure the radiation and he just ignores it like that right there would have done such wonders in the world he could have been you know even as corrupt as he is he could have done a good thing and still make boatloads of cash and he misses it just because he wants to exploit and subjugate two two tiny women that didn't ask for it right and then not only that but as a result thousands of people die more than godzilla kills right i would argue that mothra kills more people in this film than godzilla ever did in the first film that's what's ridiculous yeah i just i'm watching it i'm like oh my gosh like completely lays waste to two different cities and like is so ambivalent about the entire thing like Mothra could not be bothered by what she's doing. Right. That's a good point too. But as a side note, you said bad day with Varan and made me think of uh, 
have a new book called Varan and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. <laughs> and if I was good with Photoshop, I would totally do that, but I'm not. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, I hate myself sometimes. Okay. Um, but yeah, I you're right. The the film does it, it's a very strong critique against capitalism and what exploitation can actually do. And in a way, I mean, this is this is very is still very contextual. Um, you know, David Klatt says that, you know, America America, right? So Rulistica is first of all a combination of Russia and America. There's no way around it. Um mm-hmm. but you know, American capitalism is very individually minded. Right. Whereas the the Japanese at that time and still do, um, they have a very communal value in things. And we we see that where, you know, at first uh, Realistica is like, no, let Nelson do his thing. We're not going to step in. But then when do they step in? Whenever uh, Mothra starts going towards New Kirk City. Mm. Right. That's when they're like, oh, no, no, no. Can't be coming here. Like, what does that sound like? It sounds like World War II, where it's like, hey, you know, you guys are going to do your thing, but wait, we get bombed. Oh, no, oh, we're going to we go. Right. You know, and so is it super explicit? Not necessarily, but it's also not. It's it's not super veiled either, you know? Right. Well, there is something to say that when they step in is when the center of commerce is threatened, but not when human life is threatened. Yeah, absolutely. Human life is threatened, but also with the two women, they don't really care much about that. But when economic realities are, might be under fire. Oh gosh. Oh Mm -hmm. no. It's like the meme, like the uh, human lives are at stake. I sleep. Money is at stake. I awake. Yep. But I mean, we, we all have our blind spots, right? Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll see people where they, they care less about actual humans getting hurt, but then you see a video of a dog getting hurt and they freak out and, you know, they're about to go, go ape, ape poop on everybody. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the thing. We have our blind spots and our prejudice. Just obviously the Japanese dealt with America's blind spots and getting a bomb dropped on them. Mm. Um, not that Japan was innocent in this. Like, I feel like I hate that I even have to clarify that. But I'm like, I think that's kind of the point these films make is like, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. There's no justification for what happened. <laughs> and, you know, you're you're left with a, a, a country that will forever be scarred by that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no there's no going back from that. And. I do appreciate that about this film, though, where, I mean, they really do try to show like a post-World War II society that's really trying to progress from that. But they're still dealing with that daily, like people are still sick and they're still suffering. And even in the middle of nowhere, they land on an island that's radiation stricken. Mm-hmm. Right. They can't get away from it. Um, so character wise, like, how did you feel about the characters as a whole? So obviously Zen... He had that good, you know, comedy, but I feel like he was a good moral compass too, right? I mean, we see um, when the the editor uh, Takashi Shimura, which I told you, these characters keep doing new roles, <laughs> and I love it. I want more of him. Um, you know, when he's like, "Why? Aren't, why wasn't this a story? Why didn't you say something about the the Shobijin, right?" And he's like, "Well, no, because if I would have done a story, then people would have gone to take advantage of them." Right. He was trying to prevent 
people from going there and doing that. Like that right there is like he has become he goes from like this guy that's always trying to get the scoop to being like, no, the scoop isn't worth this. Right. Like that was awesome character development. I didn't I watched that again. I'm like, oh, wow. Like that's to me. I don't know. It, it was cool. So like, how do you feel about the other characters though, with like Chujo and then uh, uh, the photographer, you know, Hanamura and then obviously Nelson, like how did you feel as a whole, like these characters were compared to previous films? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if I would necessarily say, well, you just said comparison. You didn't say contrast. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely am. The more I'm watching it, I'm like, well, this is like, Mothra just happens to be there at some points. This is a real human drama. <laughs> yeah. And I know we say this in so many posts. We say this in so many episodes. Like, all, I think we're batting 100 or whatever a good baseball average is. Like, these are movies about humans. And there are monsters who happen to also be in these movies. But that's that's when it's a good film, oh, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I, I counted 46 minutes, Mothra finally appears. 46 minutes. There's something about the pacing and this is a side tangent, but it's somewhat related. There's something about the pacing of older movies where nowadays everything has to be an action adventure film, no matter what Mm -hmm. it is, no matter what genre it is, it has to be a fast paced action, blistering speed. And back in the nineties, like in all three power ranger movies, they don't morph for like 40 minutes, but we were still yeah. entertained getting there. Right. Whereas you think yeah. like force awakens, Han doesn't appear for 40 minutes, but it feels like it's mm-hmm. 15 because of the speed at which all the scenes move. Yeah. So yeah, the, the older star Wars are definitely more evenly paced. I would oh, say. Oh yeah. There's plenty of more sitting and talking scenes and mm-hmm. There's something that I really appreciated about this one. And of course it's not dealing with modern issues and it's not, it's anachronistic to say that it was dealing with like fake news. Right. But there's something I appreciated to the even handedness of showing how yeah, a news. I mean, the news needs news to survive, to be vi- viable economically, mm-hmm. but to see him to still say, no, I, the money, the prestige isn't worth the human cost. Yeah. And today in our fake news, like, or even, even if I want to back off because we kind of mentioned, we don't talk about Trump all the time. Think about how many times in the Twitter sphere reporting news is skewed because we try to do it sooner and we try and do it faster. Like I'm thinking to use an example out here about 20 minutes North of me, there was a guy who drove an SUV throughout through a mall mm-hmm. and just kept bowling through kiosks, and it caused it like all the cops had to come in, shut down the mall, evacuate. But on Twitter, people are reporting like shots fired and all of this speculation on where he got his car from. Where it turned out, he just drove his car through the doors from the parking lot and drove through. But all the speculation about guns and all the speculation about Oh, he stole one of the yeah. floor models that just sits in the middle of a mall. Like something about this hesitancy to post at all this news story and the way that we have to post the second anything happens before we figure out what's happening. 
I felt like that was kind of a cool incidental critique. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, but that's the same thing with the movie though, right? I mean, we want everything immediately. We don't know how to appreciate a well-crafted story or film. Not that this, what you're talking about, all, I don't know how to drive stupid guy. I mean, not that that's a good story, but that's one of the funny things with like Godzilla 14, the one film that you have seen. I mean, people like to rip that into shreds because they're like, well, you don't see Godzilla until this and that. I'm like, yeah, but one of the best films, blockbuster films of all time, Jaws, like that is what a slow burn should look like. And these films do a great job at doing that, in my opinion. Um, So I get you. I mean, we just, we want this immediate, just action, action, action. We want it right away. And, I just, I'm not a fan of that. So I I appreciate a film like this that takes its time to tell a good story. And I'm curious too, because like, if we want to kind of talk about modern movies, you think about Cloverfield, and I'm only talking about the first one right Mm -hmm. now. Not the sequels, or however many there were, right? Just the first one. Like, There's three, yeah. Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was a phenomenal movie. And then uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which is a movie sure and i just think about how in cloverfield we think it's beautiful we think it's such a stroke of masterpiece that we don't see the monster except for like Mm -hmm. really just kind of fleeting glances for a while and then of course when they made the toy you know it's an exquisite detail that we see every aspect of the monster but when we're only getting like found footage glimpses of the monster we love that. But when it comes to Godzilla, it's mm-hmm. like, get that lizard in the city now. I know. And I'm just curious yeah, what the strange. difference is. Is it an expectation on the Godzilla franchise that makes us think that way? Is there something about Cloverfield that let us forgive what we hate in Godzilla? I don't know. Yeah. I think part of it, and this is my attempt to not be ageist, but I think a part of it is with the Godzilla fandom, there's a lot of younger fans, which is awesome. But a lot of those younger fans have started with the films where Godzilla is a little bit more prominent, where there's more action, right? Sure. Because there, there is a legitimate shift towards that. I mean, it's undeniable. It's, it, it's a thing. So I think when you have the people who grew up on those films, that's what they love and that's what they want. So they project those desires onto these films and then they forget that or maybe they just not necessarily forget. They just don't want to acknowledge, which this is the goal of the podcast, right? To try to get people back to that, Mm -hmm. that these films didn't start that way, where these films aren't about the monster fights. These films are about humans and there's monsters in the film. So when you go to like the universal films like, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, all those films, like, yes, the monsters are a part of it, but like they are a piece of a much larger puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think those films are so iconic and they will never go away. I mean, I mean, obviously the old Universal films are like the 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. right? And people still watch them. And that's why with these Godzilla films that just got released on Criterion, I think that's why we saw these releases compared to the later films, because these films here set the standard for everyone else you know we got the ultraman series out of this gamma came out of this right and then all of a sudden now united states they want to do their thing 
and because I think they really like you saw such a a powerful way of making a film where the humans are truly the focus of the film if not like in this film like the real monster is nelson mm-hmm. this is the first film that i feel like we actually get a real villain but like he's still likable that's that's what i love about it like so he he is a uh, uh, japanese american if i remember right but like he didn't actually speak Japanese if I was reading all this. So he says everything phonetically, which makes sense why his Japanese is a little bit. Oh, different. I was really curious. about um, that. I was wondering if it was like an acting choice. Yeah. So apparently he does. He didn't actually speak Japanese. So that's why when he gets angry, he yells in American English oh. um, towards the end, which I thought was funny. But uh, yeah, so I just, you know, we actually get a villain here, right? Like he is the real monster. Mm-hmm in this that's what i think is so you definitely see that shift of you'll start seeing this in more films where you see more characters like him where you know the monsters stop being the monsters and we start seeing even in the original gojira who is the real monsters right is it the the sleeping dinosaur that gets radiated Mm -hmm. and it wasn't his choice or is it the people that decided that nuclear bombs is the only way the next viable option you know civilians and casualties be damned right we're just gonna drop these nukes which i understand it's not that simplistic it wasn't just a oh let's just do this but like i mean everyone i mean there's yeah there's just so much in that so that's where we start seeing in here like i said it's it's a it's a it's a shift and i think that's what makes this movie so impactful is like i mean mothra is obviously a part of it but like the film stands not on its own but they're not also like competing against each other. Right. Right. Like you could watch the film and like, you know, I, I've seen people like, well, you know, do, can you even remember a person like a human out of these Godzilla films? I'm like, yeah, every single one I watch. Well, almost all of them that I watch, like, but this one here, I mean, like Chujo, he's, he's an awesome scientist. Like I love how he's so hesitant to even get involved. Mm-hmm. Right. But then like he's like it, it is kind of funny. You always get these scientists that like have no real relation. They just get pulled out like um, it came from a movie monster podcast was talking about that on their 98 Godzilla episode where, you know, he's the bug guy. Right. And he gets mm-hmm. pulled out to help that. And, you know, in the original Godzilla, it's Dr. Romani's just this random well, kind of random scientist that they pull in. It's just it's always someone random. But Hiroshi Koizumi is such a affable character. Mm-hmm. Like he he starts out seclusive, but then by the end of it, like he's also one of those moral compasses, right? And then you have Mishi, like I don't know, she's just she's a strong woman character. So it's they're all enjoyable characters that help complement mm-hmm. the monster. It's it's not a it's not an either or. It's a both and to me. Yeah, but I think of this one too. I I kind of had the thought like. Well, in some senses, the kaiju are just as much a character. They're not treated... Mm-hmm. Some movies don't treat them as, like, a kaiju. They're like, this is Mothra. Mothra has desires. Mothra has agency. Mothra wants to see something happen. But do you remember when we watched Rodan, where I kind of suggested that Rodan, the, the two of them, acted the way the two of the humans should have at the beginning? Yeah, I, I remember you were kind of piecing that out, teasing it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you remember, I mean, remember at the beginning, the humans were fighting 
But then the two Rodans were like living in harmony, like in love mm-hmm. with each other type thing. Mm-hmm. And this is where this really comes to bat. Like Mothra is treating the women better than the humans are. The yeah. humans should be protecting them. The humans should not be exploiting them. The humans should not be bringing them from their homes. But it's up to Mothra to be the one who says, well, you know, just like what Isaiah would say, Mothra looks down to see who would help. And seeing no one, Mothra herself goes down to save them. Yeah. So if we're going to get into theology, though, let's let's get into that, because this is probably the first film where I feel like it's explicit. Um, mm. First of all, when Zen does the sign of the cross, I was like, way too many points, man. That's way too many. <laughs> a couple of crosses. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is like the first first film where we see like Catholic priests, right? That was interesting. You know, the cross on the church and which gives the heroes inspiration. Um, and the version I watched, the English uh, subtitles, you know, it's like, you know, leave it to the grace of God, right? It was mm-hmm. a capital G, which was interesting. But I actually find that this movie's portrayal of Mothra is not great. Like I was actually a little bothered by it. So I don't know if it's explicit or it was intended, but we already talked about how like Mothra killed more people, I think than Godzilla mm-hmm. did in the original mm-hmm. film. Right. Um, so obviously the, the Shobi Jin have been captured. Mothra is going to rescue them. And what's interesting is, you know, when they're performing, you know, they're singing their song. Right. And they just think like, oh, they're singing a song. But um, so the lyrics, if I remember right, it was. uh, Yeah. So it was like originally um, in Indonesian, I think, and then translated into Japanese. But the lyrics are Mothra, Mothra, if we were to call for help over time, oversee like a wave, you'd come our guardian angel. Right. So like right there, you know, they're they're singing like, hey, like, come rescue us. And they don't even realize, like, what's actually happening. You know, they mm-hmm. don't recognize the prayer. But the issue I have here is Mothra is just so indiscriminately, like, killing people, right? Mm-hmm. Innocent people that didn't ask to be killed. And I understand he's trying to rescue his his people. Um, the issue is what pacifies Mothra what gets Mothra to calm down eventually it's the music and all that right and but it's the cross and Mm. to me that that brought back this idea that like there's an angry god that's just killing and just doing whatever it needs to but then all of a sudden it sees the cross and it's pacified Mm -hmm. like this idea that Jesus has to step in to stop the angry father right it's not even like step in it's he has to like sneak in yeah it's to be like, hey, what's that over there? And suddenly he's on Earth being like, okay, shoot, we got one chance at this. Yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? That Like, I was oh, watching yeah, totally. that and I'm like, oof. <laughs> it, it, it just reminded me so much of like the, I mean, that's that's a pretty common view of Christian theology. So, or at least, you know, the atonement theory. And mm. it just kind of made me wonder, like, if that's what was intended to be right whether it's pro like that's how god is or you know there's so much left unknown but i was watching that i'm like man that's that's uncomfortable for me because obviously that's not how god is right Mm -hmm. you know god and 
you know, the father and son are not pitted against one another. You know, it's not the blood of the son that stops the father in his wrath. It's the fact that the father gave up his own life in the son to redeem humanity. But, you know, again, this film isn't necessarily trying to present atonement theology. I just, I don't know the way that Mothra just like, again, so many people just die. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like the two Shobijin aren't worth it, but I'm like, was there not another way? You know, like what right. it, it just makes me wonder, like, you know, where were our human protagonists not capable of truly saving them? Is that what happens? And so it's just it's hard for me to be like, oh, like this, this happy ending. And I'm like, and families were ruined forever. Like we talk about Power Rangers, right? We don't think about like all the destruction, the economic havoc it wreaks on all these all these mm-hmm. communities. We're just like, oh, dudes in suits. Big monsters, Power Rangers. Yeah. Well, say what you will about like Batman versus Superman, but the movie being predicated on the fact that Bat or that Superman and Zod happened to fly through this one building rather than the one next door. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever you want to say about the movie, and preferably the less the better, really. But <laughs> it does deal with that fallout of indiscriminate destruction in a way that I'm curious to see if we'll see a little bit more in this franchise. Yeah. But I do think there's something to be said about like, you know, you, when you talk about Christian theology and theodicy, you'll be like, okay, well, why doesn't God do anything about evil? And then sometimes the answer is like, well, you do understand who causes evil. Like you do understand how many evil things you've done today let alone in your entire life right like had god just stepped in to take care of evil it'd be a flood again right so Mm -hmm. maybe there's an idea where the humans probably should have been the ones to free the women because when mothra has to do it it's not a pretty it's not pretty no for sure there's a call for us to maybe do it a little bit more cleanly and I don't know. Of course, what we read Christian theology into these movies is absolutely reading into and projecting onto them. And we're hoping that maybe they had some inkling of a similar idea so we couldn't yeah. be completely eisegeting the films. So, yeah, it's just this is the first one where we actually see that explicit imagery. Sure. Right. That's what's so different about it. But I'm, then I'm sitting here too and I'm like, you know, I don't want to you know, we get into like victim blaming, right? But like how responsible were the Shobijin for Mothra's destruction, right? Mm. Because again, they deserve to be freed, but Mothra wouldn't have come if they didn't sing for him, for Mm -hmm. her. So it's just, it's this weird, like, it's not, to me, it's not all like bundled up nice and neat. Like I want it to. I'm like, oh, like I actually have to wrestle with this. Like I think of Miroslav Wolf where he talks about how, you know, him going through and, um, witnessing you know destruction and war and is and i think he's croatian right you know so like witnessing that growing up and like how that made him realize like the wrath of god is a legitimate thing but because god loves so much that the idea of evil going unpunished is not a thing that he can do but then does that happen in our lifetime is that in the life to come like mm-hmm. obviously that's I think it's a both and again, it's not an either or, but yeah, it's just like, Oh, 
so it's but what's interesting of course is you know at the end of the film it's um ultimately when humans make peace with one another right that's Mm -hmm. when the monster goes away the military doesn't do jack crap the military actually makes mothra hatch faster so Mm -hmm. maybe that's actually a good thing um hey let's just point out that these movies have been fairly consistent in that much oh absolutely and that's that's all a shiro honda i mean it's that's definitely his his thing and i think that's why varan was a little different like it still was the scientist right but i feel like the military played a bigger role but yeah. it was also because oh, he was pitching sure. it to american audiences so of course he's like whatever yeah and i know okay so i know looking at the time we're probably wanting to transition to questions real fast but there's one more thing that i wanted to at least float out there mm-hmm. and it's that this is our first female kaiju mm-hmm. and until we meet i'm assuming mrs godzilla to birth my favorite monster um i wonder how many like i wonder if you could assign of course being directed and written in 60 61 they wouldn't have the same conceptions of gender essentialism and sexual essentialism that we would right so i'm just curious if there's anything you could read into like the maternal nature of animals in her want in her destruction because we talk about like mother bears they'll wreck shop when you mess with Mm -hmm. their cubs or to pull in theology you can summon she bears to eat the youths if they're making fun of your hairstyle so i'm just i'm just curious if there's any any reason that mothra is explicitly a female in this one or if it's just to shake it up or is this hinting at a godzilla mothra relationship down the road don't 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 godthra we are not inviting that onto this podcast we are now a godzilla ship cast oh god good night guys um Um, i'm shipping king Ghidorah's first head with mothra you realize i could edit all of this out but i won't (laughs) Uh, I won't. Um, it's a really quick note before questions, though. So two things, you know, we need, need to sum up our thoughts about the film. But mm-hmm. um, I did have to, uh, as I was watching it, I just watched John Mulaney, you know, a couple months ago. I've been watching his stand-up, you know, recently. And the part where they're at, you know, waving goodbye as the boat goes off. Like, I just love his skit about that, where it's just like, do people just call up other people like, Hey, what are you doing today? Let's go down and like put on our nice dress suits and just wave to people. We don't know, <laughs> you know, like it's just this weird phenomenon of like, how did this become a thing? Like maybe the first ship that ever left ever where it's like, Oh my gosh, it isn't sinking Bye, But we're going <laughs> to wave to you just in case you don't come home. Right. And then, yeah, it's this huge thing. Um, I did also want to mention that, the Mothra larva is bigger than Godzilla in this film. So the Mothra larva is 180 meters compared to Godzilla's like 50 meters. And then when it turns into its Imago form, which is its final form, um, wingspan is nearly 900 feet wide and 80 meters long. So yeah, big monster. Yeah. You talk about the final form. Now I'm thinking of Mothra is like Frieza. This yeah. isn't even my final form. Oh, geez. Um, so, yeah, overall, 
scale one to five, how would you uh, rate this film? Oh, five. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good well, one for sure. Oh man, no, no, no. I would probably. I, I don't know if I'd say five yet. Okay, but I don't know gotcha. actually. No, no, no. I don't know because what did I think was missing from it? Nothing. What did I think was wrong with it? Nothing. Am I just yeah. reticent to call any movie perfect? Probably. It's no. Think about it this way: if you get an A on a paper, it doesn't mean you get a hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. So that's why I'm I'm confident in giving it a five. Like this, this is where I think you really start seeing like they're hitting their stride. Mm-hmm. You know, their creative team, like the effects, the writing, the direction, the way everything's shot, the music. It's it's just a great film. So I I am very confident in giving it a five myself. So just like broadly, don't give me too much. But like, mm-hmm. are the next couple going to be the same behind the scenes teams? Are we switching for the most part? For okay. the most part, yeah, different different composers, stuff like that. I can't remember all the films that we have next. I think we're going straight into a Godzilla film next. I could be wrong though. Um, I'm gonna actually pull that up right now so we can talk about that later. But um, so questions and comments, as you're aware. Oh yeah, we're going to King Kong vs Godzilla next time. Oh yeah. Um, I won't make you watch the Japanese version. I meant the English version of that though. Um. <laughs> Only unless you want to. So, comments, questions. We're doing this every week, every episode. Excuse me. Um, so, if you have any questions, comments you want to share, whether it's about the episode you're listening now, um, the next episode, previous episodes, just nothing too far in the future because Chris hasn't seen the films yet. Um, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram. You can email uh, the Kaiju Apostle at Gmail. Um, and we will share them because we actually have six this evening, which is pretty awesome. Um, um, we were well, going to have, if I can interrupt that? real quick, like submit whatever, like, yeah, David will filter them. And if yeah. you've got a good question that has a spoiler in it, we can, we can suss out the question without spoiling it. So please like submit whatever you'd like. And the worst case scenario, we put it in the tank for that episode. Yeah, I do have a, a a question that's for actually next episode. So as long as it's relevant, I'll put it in there. Just please make sure it's safe for work. I mean, obviously, we're doing our best to be a podcast that's Sometimes. remotely family friendly, which, okay, really quick, though, this is supposed to be a family oriented film. And I realize family oriented films in the 60s is much different than now. Oh, like, absolutely. You have kidnapping, you have swearing. Like, yeah, it's. I was kind of surprised by that um, mm-hmm. going back in and I'm like oh yeah like some of these films sometimes I struggle with like letting Jasper watch to be honest mm-hmm. um, but okay questions so uh, the always lovely Henry from it came from a movie monster podcast uh, kind of two questions in one um, so how do you feel with Mothra leading the archetype for story settings for later Toho films that's the first question and then will you explore the rebirth of Mothra series? So I don't know if you can really answer any of those. So he's not wrong because the a lot of the the plot beats, story beats that we see here are going to be carried into future films, obviously changed up a bit. So let me kind of take his question and make a question, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Chris, how do like... you feel... 
how do you feel knowing that this movie helped set the standard for future films? How does that make you feel? Um, if I'm being completely honest, that recontextualization doesn't give me too much more to work with because I yeah, don't I know. know if you mean like structure wise, theologically, monsterifically. So Throw me a bone, man. I'm working with what I got here. Hey, hey, Henry, that was a great question. Do not listen to David. Thank <laughs> you. I think I, I don't know. I think if, if if it's like true that they're hitting their stride here, this was a pretty significant step forward. So if they mm-hmm. are using just as much character work, if they are using the monsters for a little bit more than just big, bad city crunchers, I'm excited. I think, I think this is a good, good standard to start from. Whereas Godzilla, I mean, Gojira, the first one was good. It just, didn't give you much like that's why Godzilla rates again was so tough because it's like how do you follow that up but now that Mothra Mm -hmm. is asking questions and kind of introducing some world building and suggesting that we don't have to kill the monster yeah I could see this being the good like gateway movie into a franchise so I'm I'm, I think that's great awesome that's that's a good answer um as for Rebirth of Mothra, yes, we will be doing an episode about that. That is one of the bonus episodes. I don't mind mentioning that we're going to be doing. Um, I'm just, since he asked us that, Henry, are you suggesting these are bad? Please tweet me at Chris Worms. <laughs> I won't answer that. Um, That's why I asked Henry. Okay. <laughs> Can I call him Henry? Next we're not, question. Are we on a first name basis? You should be. Okay. Yeah, and seriously, guys, like, Definitely, I've I've pitched his podcast so many times. I've had an absolute blast listening to their uh, their uh, episode about Godzilla '98 to celebrate Godzilla's 65th birthday. I mean, it's there's so many people on the podcast, so it's like an absolute chaos, and it's wonderful every single moment of it. Um, okay, next question. So Jurassic underscore Subby asks, "What do you think of Mothra as a kaiju?" Chris. Um I, I compare I don't know I don't know how to answer this the best way, so let me just answer the way that it came to my head first. Is there's something so creepy about a familiar animal being so big. Like, yeah, I've seen a lizard before, but I've never seen a Rodanosaurus or whatever. So now mm. that it's a giant moth. Like, there's a weird, like, this is what you know, but it's bigger. This is what you know, but it's, like, perverted now. How do you feel about that? And I'm like, not good. So I think it's a good choice. It, I The memes have kind of, like, taken some of the fire out from under her. But there's something so, like, just as when we talked about the humans being the real monsters, like, mm-hmm. animals being the monsters, there's something so unsettling about that because we're so used to one thing. And now they present it so differently that I think it's great. I love it. I I would love to see what the next one is a giant cardinal. Not the Catholic kind, the bird kind. Yeah, I mean, that is good you clarified because we did talk about Catholics this episode. <laughs> so. um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's something challenging about seeing something that you're so used to and you're forced to think about it differently. 
right i mean that's why when you get like i mean godzilla it's like okay dinosaurs i mean it's they're obviously not here necessarily right but then giant moth and you're like oh god like what would happen if there's actually a giant moth like uh i don't like regular sized ones yeah but it is interesting seeing that like I think at one point in the 90s, they stopped making the the Trend Masters toys because they weren't selling well. Because obviously for, for guys, you know, they're not, Mothra's not masculine, right? And now you get all this weeboo stuff of Godzilla shipping with Mothra. And I'm like, oh God, like this is the other end of the spectrum. I did not want this. Well, if you didn't want Godzilla shipping on this podcast, you should not have asked me to co-host. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um... Next comment comes from Christian, uh, C-A underscore M7A on Instagram. Uh, praise Gojira, praise Gojira, praise the mighty Gojira. So thanks, Christian. Always appreciate you reaching out and the support. And uh, yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. Oh, it's not a question. So if you're on Jeopardy, you would have lost. Um, Alex collects monsters. He said uh, may already be answered by which, by the way, Christian, I'm I, I do appreciate you, but that was that was such a random thing to send. Um, Alex said, may already be answered by just talking about the movie, but this question is for Chris, so my heart broke a little bit. Uh, thoughts on Hiroshi Koizumi as Chujo? Hmm. You know, this might be one of those times where um, I could be stalling to pull up IMDb to make sure I'm realizing who's who <laughs> he was the he was the the linguist scientist oh yeah yeah the philol philologist yeah i appreciated this i appreciated this take a little bit differently because we had mentioned previously that being a scientist automatically made you an expert on any kaiju put in front of you um mm-hmm but I, th- I thought this is an interesting take. And yeah, they, we did kind of answer this a little. And I think you summed it up perfectly that he eventually also became a moral compass himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't honestly have too many thoughts. Because this time I think I was a little more taken in my... Like, right, so one of my majors in college was gender studies. So I wasn't totally thinking about that aspect. I was a little more caught up on gender until this discussion. But could be one to revisit. Well, you better get used to him because you're going to see him as an actor. Well, maybe what I can do then is revisit this question when we've met him in a different role. Yeah, that would be good. Um, So Nathan, uh, he has a podcast called the Monster Island Film Vault. Uh, Also recommend that one. Uh, His episode on the anime truly was quite nice. Um. So he said, what do you think of screenwriter Shinichi Sekizawa? This was his big first, uh, his first big kaiju film as he had just cut teeth with Varan. That's crazy. I never know. Like I always, it's so weird to me that like someone woke up one day and is like, I'm going to write a big monster movie. Mm -hmm. But this one feels like. It feels like he was already kind of familiar with how kaiju movies work. And knew what story beats to hit. So if this was really their first, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily like, obviously Varan was the big one, but um, 
it looks well, like you live and learn. You make mistakes and yeah. you write a you write a great one the second time. Yeah, for sure. It looks <laughs> like his very first screenplay was for the independently produced film Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucers, which was also his sole directing credit. And then that's when he got brought on to start doing uh, Godzilla films. He looks like he contributed some material to the original Ultraman as well, which I'm totally on board with. That's been a fun show to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, screenplay wise, obviously there's a lot of factors in there. Um, you've, I don't know all the inner workings of that, but I will say knowing what we're going into, I mean, his, his scripts are some of my favorites. So I'm, yeah, I think he did a great job. I mean, this, even though I think like my top five Godzilla films, like this one wants to creep in there. Like I really do enjoy this one so much. It, it, it hurt me to actually have to like take notes while watching it. That's what's hard for me sometimes with these films. I'm like, I just want to watch it, right? <laughs> but I don't have time to watch it and then watch it again and take notes. So I've got to do it right the first time. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right. And the last one's a comment. So not necessarily a question. Uh, Eli, Instagram is GodzillaFan62. Uh, to me, Mothra is the turning point of the Showa era. It is the film that brought all the pieces together to make to, to make, in his perspective, the perfect special effect slash tokusatsu film. The great direction of Ishiro Honda, the craft of special effects of Aisha, I actually don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, Subaraya. I've never pronounced his first name, um, but he's the one that's done all like the special effects. He goes on to do Ultra Q and Ultraman. Um, the music of Yuji Koseki, and finally the script of Shinichi Sekizawa, which we just discussed, which I think, being Eli, is the biggest part of why this film works. Think about small little people worshipping a giant moth. What a story to put into the film. Well, they did it. And now Mothra is one of the most recognizable monsters in the world. I mean, he ain't wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, let's just talk about the fact that the movie is predicated on the fact that people... Like we said earlier, that people would worship a moth. But the fact that we're watching this movie and think, yeah, that's normal. I absolutely think that would happen. Speaks a lot to the ability yeah. to sell this whole movie as a concept to us. And that is a team effort. So that is a good yeah. comment. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, by this point, you've kind of bought into the fact that there's giant monsters in the world, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's actually one of my thoughts on the radio broadcast. It was like, one of the great monsters of this century. And I'm like, wait, who else is in this universe? Like, that's what's funny is I up until now, you have Gojira, Rodan, Mothra, and Varan. They're all their own films, mm -hmm. right? But then eventually they get brought in together. Like this is the last of the like the kind of solo films before we start getting Avengers. Not really, because mm. that would be mm. horrible. Um Yeah. No no there's no Tony Stark in these films. But wait, so what I mean, when we get to King Kong versus Godzilla, Dawn of Justice, what's that? Well, that's next year, and that's even debatable if that film's coming out. That's kind of been my running joke, is it's going to get shipped off to Netflix. Um, which, you know, it'll go the route of Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> They'll just drop it and uh, be like, oh, you should watch this, please. 
Yeah, honestly, there's I have no idea what's going on there. I don't. It's not bothering me at all. But there's so many people freaking out about that. I'm just like, guys, like, I understand you're concerned, but I promise, like, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> like, it's it's going to be okay. They did not spend this amount of money and cast these talented actors just to not release the film. I mean, like, it's not New Mutants. It it will come out. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a deep cut. I I really just can't see them say, yeah, we've got Brie Larson, aka Captain Marvel, and no, we're not going to use her. No, they, I mean they're what's going to find some. She's sort not of in this film though. She's not in the film. But isn't she in King Kong? Yeah, but that's set in the seventies, dude. Well, I haven't seen it. I'm not allowed. I know. Well, I I had to say that to make sense. But yeah, that's set in the seventies. It's uh. Wait, are you Vietnam saying King movie. Kong hasn't seen Star Wars because it's not out yet? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's just like, uh, yeah. That's we'll get on there. That's one thing King Kong and Hopper have in common. They haven't seen Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, little space wizard boy. Um, I am exhausted, man. It is ten thirty six, which really it's eleven thirty six because of DST, right? Um, that is not a drug, kids, but. Okay, so who are we uh, going to pour it out for this time? Because I don't feel like Nelson would be a good choice. Uh, really, all that's left are the civilians. So we mm-hmm. are going to be pouring out metric tons of drinks for them. Yeah, and the natives, too. That was rough, actually. Mm-hmm. I had that in my notes. That was really rough watching the way that he just shot all the natives. So it was appropriate that that's what he saw before he died. So... To all the civilians in Tokyo and New Kirk City. I always want to say New Donk City from <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey. Headcanon um, accepted. I can't wait for Donkey Kong versus Godzilla next week. Donkey Kong versus Yoshi. Um, have a good night, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. Tune in to future episodes on most major podcast distributors, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. For more information, including music credits, please visit our website at www.thekaijuapostle.com or at instagram.com slash the.kaiju.apostle. We appreciate your support and hope to hear from you soon.